0: Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks down the centuries to us. Thank you that it comforts us, but challenges us. We pray that you would open it to us this morning and give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the next few weeks, I hope we're going to be having a, a bit of a look at Paul's letter to the Galatians and uh, sort of reading it and seeing how we might learn and be strengthened and uh, go forward in our faith. And uh, just got three very simple slides to show you, um, just to sort of put a little bit of context. Um, so that's um, obviously sort of uh, Europe and North Africa and uh, beginning to go over into. Uh, that's what we call the Middle East or West Asia. And uh, just want you to sort of notice where Turkey is, okay? So you go sort of diagonally down from, from Britain and you get to that big sort of uh, kind of beige country there, which is Turkey, okay? We went to Turkey on our honeymoon, so there we are. Um, uh, right, so next slide, please. Okay, 2,000 years ago, um, it wasn't called Turkey. Uh, it was called a, a number of different areas, and the one in the middle was called Galatia. So Galatia is an area. It's a region. It's not a city. Uh, so we need to, to think about this um, uh, as a sort of a letter to a, to a region, to a number of churches, not just to one. So i say ancient, uh, what we now call Turkey, right in the middle, the area called Galatia. And so uh, next slide, just uh, a sort of third one of those three. Give us the next one. There it is. Okay. So it's, uh, it's written by Paul. It says so, fairly Paul, an apostle. Uh, first uh, two or three words. And uh, as I say, it's written to a group of churches. Uh, it's written, so the boffins say, around about 50 AD. Nobody knows for absolutely certain, but that's what they reckon. Um, and it's written urgently and passionately. And that's what I want to think about this morning. It's written urgently and passionately. Usually, when Paul writes a letter, um, you get Paul, an apostle, and from his companions, and then he breaks into a long sort of uh, prayer or praise uh, to God, usually for the faith of those to whom he's writing. That's what usually happens. He sort of, he, he sort of goes off on one of these long um, praise God for, for you. In Galatians, it's quite different. You do get Paul, an apostle, and then you get a little one, but Grace and Peace to You from God Our Father. It's really a little bit like writing the address and the date in an old uh, letter. And then, bam, it goes straight in. In verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I am astonished. There's something really urgent and passionate that Paul is writing about. And he wants to put them right. He says, look, you're you're, you're straying, you're going away. And uh, I want you to to hear me and to come back. I want you to come back. And and so what is it? What is it that Paul is so uh, disturbed about? And what is it that he feels the Galatian Christians are, are moving away towards? What, what is it that, that, is, that is causing them to desert the gospel that Paul has preached to them? Well, as the letter unfolds, it, it relates to one of the big questions of the New Testament. A question we see in the book of Acts and then we see in other letters as well. And the question is this. When a Gentile, somebody like us, a non-Jew, when a Gentile believes in Christ Jesus, do they then also need to become a Jew? When a Gentile believes in Christ Jesus, do they then also need to become a Jew? Do they have to keep the law? Do men have to be circumcised? Do they have to keep all the Jewish law and customs? And you can see right there across the New Testament that this battle goes on. If you become a Christian, do you also have to be a Jew? Now, to us, it seems right like an academic question. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. To them, it wasn't. It was a really important question. After all, Jesus was a Jew. He wept over Jerusalem. He cleansed the temple. All the big things... His betrayal, his death and resurrection happened in Jerusalem. He said, I've come for the lost sheep of the people of Israel. And do you remember when the Syrophoenician woman comes to him and, and, and says, you know, please heal my daughter. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus was a Jew. He loved the law. He taught about the law. He actually made the law harder, stricter, more radical because he takes the law from something that you do out there and he puts it in your heart. He says, you've heard that uh, uh, you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even look lustfully. Take the law and put it inside. Of course, Jesus was a Jew. He kept the law. He was serious about it. So therefore, when people believe in Jesus, they should become Jews too. It's perfectly reasonable. Perfectly reasonable. Paul says, no, don't do that. This new message, this message of Christ crucified and risen again, which has been entrusted to his apostles, and Paul counts himself as one of those, is so new, so deep, so profound, so radical, that it turns everything that has gone before upside down. This message is about grace. One of Paul's big, big words. It's about grace. God's love poured out for us in Jesus' Unearned, undeserved, unmerited, unbiable, given as a gift. All that we bring is our need of God's forgiveness. A couple of verses in Ephesians, uh, Paul sort of becomes crystal clear. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Everything is done by God through Jesus and offered to us. All we need to do is receive it. And when you start thinking about it, you think, actually, that's quite scandalous. I bring nothing. I can't do anything. Nothing about my effort and my morality and my humanity. Everything I'm trying to be a good person, nothing is any good. And God looks at us and smiles and says, That is like dirty rags before me. It is offensive. And Paul says it was offensive. In, in 1 Corinthians, he says it's a it's a stumbling block to Jews. They don't like it. And it's foolishness to the Greeks, foolishness to the Gentiles. It doesn't make sense. But this is the joy and the delight and the wonder of the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. We are all sinners and all saved through this act of God, this unique, timeless, and supreme act of Jesus on the cross. And once you've got it, once you've embraced it, once you've, you've said yes to it, it's just the best message ever. It doesn't matter how messed up my life is. It doesn't matter how far f- a short I fall, even of my own standards, let alone anyone else's. It doesn't matter because He gives us this as a gift. Jesus' death and resurrection wins our forgiveness, and all we are asked to do is to repent. And believe the good news. This is at the heart of the gospel. And this is at the heart of the gospel that Paul was preaching. And he's saying, look, it's either a gift or it isn't. You can't be saved mainly by grace and then a bit by yourself. To say that is to somehow say that Christ's death on the cross wasn't quite good enough was somehow incomplete, that it lacks something. So to those who were saying, look, yes, it's Jesus on the cross, and you've got to keep the law, Paul says, no, it's Jesus on the cross. That's enough. And anyway, look, we tried to follow the law, and it really was really difficult. It became a burden. It distracted us. We don't need to do that now because of Jesus on the, on the cross. And to those who said, yes, okay, we're saved by grace, but once we've become uh, Christians or we become followers of Christ Jesus, how will we know how to behave? How will we know how to live? Surely we need the law to show us how to live. And Paul says, don't worry. There's something even better now. The gift of the Spirit which fills those who have come to know Christ Jesus and enables them to live as God's holy people. The Spirit will guide people to live righteous lives. So Paul says it's Jesus on the cross, it's the Spirit filling us, it's us living in joyful response to those things. And Paul is adamant that any other message is not just wrong, but a perversion a, 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 a sort of grotesque alteration of all that Jesus has done on the cross. And he gets really angry about anyone who would, who would try and change it. And he, he uses this phrase, eternally condemned. Um, he, he, he's really adamant about it and, and, and says it twice uh, in those verses that, uh, that Mike read for us. Let them be eternally condemned because you are changing something which is really, really, deeply important. And perhaps it's because this message in some way is so hard to grasp and we're we're tempted just to twist it a little bit. Maybe that's why he is so hard on those who have changed it, who are saying, yes, and, yes, Jesus, and become a Jew. And Paul will fight and does fight and fights against some of the leaders of the church, even Peter himself. He will fight him over this message that in Jesus we have enough, more than enough. So you might be sitting there thinking, Thank you, Tom, that's all very interesting. I believe that. I've known that for years. So what? So what? I want to say three things because I'm a vicar. Bound to be three, wasn't it? Three things, okay? Firstly, there are no ranks in God's people. We are all saved the same through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are all indwelt by the same spirit. We are the same. We are equal. We are the, the, the ground in front of the cross is level. There are no ranks, no status, no sort of people who are more important than others in God's people. Do you know, it's really hard to hold on to that. Um, I, I, I looked this up earlier this week and apparently when the last empress of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire died in 1989, okay, uh, the last of, of those empresses she uh, was taken in a funeral cortege to St. Stephen's Cathedral in the center of Vienna. And when the cortege of the arrived, the doors of the cathedral were locked. And one of, one of the uh, people in the cortege banged on them with a big sort of stick. And, and the voice comes from inside the cathedral. Who requests entry? The reply was, Her Majesty, Empress of Austria, crowned queen of Hungary, queen of Bohemia, Dalmatia, Croatia, Slavonia and Illyria, archduchess of Austria, grand duchess of Tuscany, and on and on it went. The voice from inside says, we do not know her, who requests entry? The second time, her majesty, empress of Austria, queen of Hungary. We do not know her, who requests entry? This time, our sister, a poor mortal sinner, and the doors were thrown open. We are all equal in the eyes of God. We are all equal because Jesus has saved us all. There's something deeply and wonderfully radical about that, that when the people of God come together, we are equal. And we are equally welcome. Equally welcome in the church. Equally welcome to one another. Equal because we have been united to God through this sacrifice, through this gospel. We are welcome to him and to one another. And thirdly, and perhaps most challengingly, are we ever tempted are we ever drawn into that pitfall of adding something to the gospel? Of somehow saying, it's that plus this. Maybe, you know, you can remember sort of 40, 50 more years ago, there was a, a strong tradition of, uh, of one Sunday best. Do you remember that? Certainly my parents used to talk about it. Sunday best. And uh, the fact that he had to have a really smart outfit to go to church. Now, at his heart, that's fine. It's about honouring God, isn't it? About taking worship seriously. I don't have a problem with that. The problem is that people who didn't have a smart outfit weren't sure whether they were allowed to come. And there were stories of people not going up to communion. Because when they went up to communion, they would kneel down. And everyone would see that they had holes in their shoes. Something that was innocent became uh, something that was added. It is about Jesus, but it's also about having the right clothes to wear, the right shoes. Something got added to the central point about being together in a more serious way. We we know, don't we, and and this service this afternoon will bear witness to this, that, that our church, our church, my church, found it really hard to welcome Caribbean people in the 50s and 60s. And I think in many ways we are still living with the legacy of that. People who said, it's the gospel, yes, but actually we'd much rather you look like us. Something got added and people were pushed away. I watched a a little sort of video testimony uh, recently of a a young uh, Christian man who had felt that God was calling him to be celibate. And he said, I want to be in the church. I don't want to be fixed. I don't need fixing, he said. In other words, he didn't feel that somebody had to pair him off with somebody. Okay, get him married off. Okay? Is that something that our churches say? You're welcome, but actually we'd much rather you were married. Jesus has died for you, but actually we'll understand you better if if you're with somebody else. The gospel plus something. Paul will remind us in this letter that it's the message of Jesus dying on a cross and rising again for us. The offer of salvation, of forgiveness and of the spirit indwelling us. This is what matters. This is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And this is the heart of what it means to be the church. To come together at the foot of the cross and to marvel and to worship and to say thank you and to look around at one another and say, wow, you've accepted it too. Isn't that marvelous? Doesn't matter what color you are, what clothes you're wearing. Doesn't matter whether you're single or married or you were married or it doesn't matter. We are on this level ground in front of the cross. You came in by grace. I came in by grace. Let's make sure everybody else can come in by grace too. Amen.